So I want to read um, uh, a little bit from, from Ezra. Uh, I don't particularly need to look at it unless you want to, but it's in Ezra, uh, a few verses in Ezra chapter 3 and a few verses in Ezra chapter 4, uh, chapter 6 rather. Um, and this was when the temple was being uh, rebuilt uh, in Jerusalem as the exiles came back uh, from exile uh, in Babylon. And um, it was a, obviously it was a, it was a joyous occasion. And... Uh, Psalm 118 was probably sung on that occasion. It was, it was a Passover, and certainly Psalm 118 would have been one of the songs that would have been part of the Passover uh, celebrations, whether it, it was actually um, used at this time uh, in the, in the uh, Thanksgiving and dedication of the temple, I don't know, but it certainly fits, and I think it'll help to give us a little bit of context as we look at the psalm. So, uh, Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Again, as I say, it's, it's talking about the rebuilding of the temple on the return from exile. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, perhaps with the cornerstone, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And then going on into uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 15. Uh, Ezra chapter 6, verse 15. The temple was completed on the third day of the month, Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. And on the fourteenth day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover, the priests and Levites had purified themselves and they were all ceremonially clean. And the Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their relatives, the priests, and for themselves. And so the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. And for seven days... They celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. So with that sort of in mind, let's uh, look at Psalm 118. It's going to come up here and um, we're looking at it in terms of... Uh, the different people that might have been involved in saying different parts. And I've got a couple of gatekeepers, a couple of Levite gatekeepers who are going to come and uh, um, do their bit. So if you stand, if you stand there by the um, other thing. Um, and you 
uh, I'll take the part of the, the leader leading a group of people up towards the temple precincts to come and bring their worship to God. And you're the worshippers, so you're going to say the bits that say worshippers. And so say it nice and enthusiastically. And um, we'll just enter into this uh, as we approach uh, the Lord and seek to come into his presence. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Thank you. Well, we know the Psalms are often you know, sung in different ways. Um, as you read through the Psalms, you can see just by the use of pronouns that very often there's words being put into people's mouths or 
that's one way anyway of uh, possibly uh, taking it but it just helps us to enter in and just to think you know we're part of that occasion uh, going up to the temple so this this psalm had a what we might call a liturgical use it was used certainly used at the great festivals and the passover um, but uh, it's much more than just a psalm of um, following a certain pattern and doing the right things uh, it's a psalm about a relationship with God and I think we're going to get yeah, there we go good so seeing Christ we're going to see how Christ uh, is part of our understanding of how God leads us uh, into his presence he's the one who comes in the name of the Lord but this psalm is if you look at the, the beginning and the end of the psalm uh, you're, that helps us to understand really what the psalm is all about and um, if you've got the psalm open in front of you that will help um, at the beginning the psalmist starts off by saying give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever and he closes the psalm with the same words so you've got this sort of sandwich which is often a good indication this is really what uh, what it's all about it's about God's love being there all the time and this this word love is actually much deeper than um, we might just think from looking at the word love um, people sometimes say to us as translators oh how do you translate the word for snow for people who've never seen snow um, well okay that's a challenge but often it's these um, what we might call sort of theological words or deep words that are, are more uh, more of a challenge and this this word uh, love here is one that's uh, in Hebrew it's hesed um, I think that may come up in front of us yeah so except it comes up as a bit of a squiggle because I use special characters and they didn't LCBC doesn't recognize the Hebrew language so that's the problem um, but okay it's Hesed H-E-S-E-D if you like or C-H-E-S-E-D that first sound is a sort of huh, huh sound um, Hesed and it's it, it's a very difficult word to translate I mean, uh, even in English love doesn't capture it I think that the authorized version used loving kindness which is sort of a bit bland in some ways I think some of the newer versions maybe use covenant love that sounds a little bit sort of like a paper document um, but this is a real commitment that God has for his people it's talking about loyalty faithfulness commitment uh, faithfulness put into action uh, how God works out his commitment to us as his people how he worked out his commitment to the people of Israel uh, in terms of their walk with him and their service for him so you can bring a whole range of words and you still perhaps wouldn't really get to the depth of hesed of, of God's uh, committed loyal faithful love for his people and it, and this is telling us this is this is an unbreakable relationship that God has with his people his love his hesed endures forever it goes on it's not broken uh, by circumstances and also although as I say this this psalm was used on sort of the, the festive occasions on annual events um, it's talking about a daily experience 
the psalmist is not just talking about the high points of the Passover and going up to the temple and worshipping God and having a wonderful time. He's talking about the difficult times, the hard times. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, he says in verse 5. So let's start just by looking at how this works out for, for, the, for the psalmist and then we'll go on and look and see how, what does it say to us as Christians looking at it from a different perspective, uh, knowing, uh, knowing Christ as our saviour and as providing uh, a way into God's presence for us. And one of the refrains uh, that we joined in here Uh, in verses 8 and 9 is it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes Um, and one of the one of the questions I think which this psalm asks is you know who who do we trust in life who do we believe who do we follow because there's conflicting voices coming uh, from the world from the TV from our friends maybe who do we choose to believe? Who do we choose to trust? And I think this evening, you know, whether you're a Christian that has already put your faith in God, in, in Christ, whether you haven't yet taken that step, I think it's still a, a deep question to ask ourselves, who do we trust? Who do we put our faith in? When difficult times come, uh, when complicated matters come, when issues of right or wrong come, who do we trust? And the psalmist here is encouraging us to put our trust in the Lord. Um, And he says uh, it's better to trust in God than to trust in in anything else that this world can offer. And the psalmist has learned that through his his own experiences, through through hardship, uh, through difficulties. Don't know exactly what experiences the psalmist had. It's got some sort of echoes of what David went through when he was being pursued by Saul uh, and some of that comes through in some of the Psalms we don't know particularly that this was a Psalm that David wrote uh, possibly not but uh, it's similar those kinds of experiences uh, when you're in trouble when you don't see a way out when there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel uh, when you're under pressure not necessarily physical contact, uh, conflict, uh, but we may feel, like he says, surrounded on every side. He says in verse uh, 11, uh, they swarmed around me like bees. Sometimes situations can develop where we, where we feel, you know, we're just hedged in. There's no way out. But the psalmist is encouraging us, what do you do in that situation? Do you trust in the Lord? It's better to trust in the Lord. Uh, in situations even where you don't see any way through. And there, there are um, echoes here of uh, the time when God brought his people out of, out of slavery in Egypt, uh, the Exodus, uh, some of the refrains there like in verse 15 and 16, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's hand has done mighty things. Uh, the Lord's right hand is lifted high. There are echoes there of the, the rejoicing when they came out of, of Egypt and the song of Moses and uh, thanksgiving to the Lord through that salvation experience coming out of Egypt. Uh, but coming out of Egypt not to an easy life, uh, not to everything being uh, nice and cozy. Uh, but as long as they followed the Lord, then they were secure. Things were not easy but they were secure. 
and uh, he reflects that, doesn't he, in verses 17 and 18. It says, I'll not die, but live. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he's not given me over to death. And there's that sense of, okay, things are not easy. Uh, and, you know, I may not know which way to turn, but if I turn to the Lord, then I know that I have that security and that sure foundation uh, that will see me through. And um, the, the conclusion, really, of this testimony to God's faithfulness, which is what, uh, what he's telling us about in these, these verses, um, if you look in verse 6, sort of the summary of it is, I think, the Lord is with me, I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. Uh, And that was the testimony of the psalmist uh, in the difficult situations that he goes on to outline. Yet God is with him, so I will not fear. I will not be afraid of people, uh, but the Lord is with me. And we'll come later on and see that that's actually picked up. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews picks up this very expression, and we'll, we'll come back to that. So here's the the psalmist giving in these verses 5 to 18. He's giving us his testimony, really, a testimony to the faithfulness of God through difficult situations that God is there. And he's encouraging uh, the other worshippers to say, look, God is, God, God is to be trusted. You trust him too. And um, choosing to trust God doesn't remove the problems but it gives you that security and a safe refuge and the 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 love of god the commitment of god the loyalty of god to his people is is unbreakable if you belong to god then his love for you is uh, not just going to go away it's not going to be here today and gone tomorrow but then in verse 19 um there's quite a distinct move uh, as the psalmist uh, takes the step, really, of wanting to draw into God, come into God's presence. I think you notice, this, uh, whereas the, the, the verses 5 to 18, it's very much my experience. I, um, I, I turned to the Lord. Um, they surrounded me. The enemies surrounded me on every side. I was pushed back. But now the whole sort of focus, the whole orientation changes, and he's, he's, he's talking Uh, in a way that says, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. There's that desire, if you like, to take it a step further, not just to be talking about the Lord and what the Lord has done for him, but actually to bring himself to the Lord and, and, and to say to the Lord, yes, I want to bring myself into your presence. I want to worship you. I want to give you thanks. And I want to draw near to you. So, A reflection on God's faithfulness says, I don't just want to talk about God and say how wonderful it is. I want to actually, I want to talk to God and bring myself before him and listen to him, learn from him and worship him. And you notice uh, the kinds of change. If you look in, in, like in verse 14, he's saying, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He's talking about God. But uh, in verse 21, he's essentially saying the same things, but he's saying, I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. He's addressing himself to God directly and saying, not just God has become my salvation, but you, Lord, you have become my salvation. So there's a real change here that that, uh, the psalmist moves from he, 
for you. That's a significant step, isn't it, in a relationship? I wonder if you have you moved from talking about God as he has done this, he does that, to, yes, Lord, you have done this for me, and I want to come to you. I think that's a real significant change of focus, and I trust that, uh, I trust that you have, have come not just to talking about God, but actually to coming to God and talking to him. Then the um, psalmist uh, brings himself uh, to the gate, uh, in this case to the, the, the gate uh, of the temple, and that would have been uh, the Levites. Remember in Ezra, the Levites had purified themselves, and they were there essentially to make sure that the, the temple precincts were kept pure. That only, and, they, and they say, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. So here we have the, the way to God is initially seems to be blocked this is the gate of the lord where the righteous may enter are you righteous are you going to step inside but then uh the the way is is opened up and the psalmist seems to recognize um that okay i I can't come in my own strength i can't come in my own righteousness but you god you have become my salvation and as he moves on, um, we get this uh, phrase. We were singing it, weren't we? The, the, in verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous uh, in our eyes. And in a sense, I think this sort of provides us with a bit of a clue um, that this is something, this is, this is God's doing. This is not the way we would have done it. Uh, the builders have, uh, here's, a, here's a stone, uh, and it needs to be a good stone, whether, whether you think of it as being a cornerstone or, some, or a keystone uh, that, that locks uh, an arch into place, or a cornerstone which determines the, the accuracy and the strength of the building. It needs, to be, it needs to be just right. It needs to be absolutely fitting and proper so that the building can be strong and straight and it seems here we've got this picture of uh, a stone which the builders perhaps in the rebuilding of the temple uh, have thought oh no not that one Uh, but God has said no that's that is the stone that I have chosen that is the stone uh, that is the key that is the cornerstone so we see here it's moving us towards saying God is providing something which wouldn't have been our choice. It wouldn't have been our way of doing things, but it's his provision. And um, it's an unlikely solution, uh, but it's one that only God uh, could fashion and bring about. And so it's God who's in charge. He's the one who decides the blueprint, and it's not our solution. And, And it goes against human wisdom in many ways. We'll come back and think about that. And then the, the last the verses of the psalm, uh, 24 to 27, really, I, I talk about the blessings of having a relationship with God. Uh, the Lord uh, has done it this very day. Let's rejoice today and be glad this what God has done in bringing us, opening up the way into his presence, brings us blessing 
and we're encouraging one another as fellow pilgrims as we enter into his presence, as we go into his presence. And um, again, I think there's, there's sort of there's a shift in the pronouns, isn't it? Whereas initially he was talking about I, then he's addressing God. Now it's very much we. Um, let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Um, and it's, it's uh, the, the, the experience of the, the worshippers together uh, encouraging one another. We're in this uh, together. We've brought ourselves together to encourage one another, to challenge one another. And we're led into God's uh, presence as a group of his people. Uh, we're fellow, fellow pilgrims those uh, being led into the presence of God, encouraging one another as we go. And this, the, the, the second part of verse 27 is, is um, you'll probably find as many different translations of that as there are versions. It's, um, but the, the, uh, with bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. Um, I see an alternative uh, translation in the footnotes. Um, but I think the idea is here, God's opened up a way. There's a, there's a, there's a path right up uh, to the, the very presence uh, of God. God, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's almost a bit like sort of the, the red carpet with the, um, you know, the, the little um, uh, sort of rope uh, barriers which you see at, like at film premieres and things. And he's saying, you know, Join, join in the red carpet all the way up into the very presence of God. Uh, God's opened up that way, and it's especially there. It's for you. Um, so we're, we're led then into the presence of God because God has provided a way into his presence. He has become our salvation. So as we turn to sort of apply it from our perspective, from a Christian perspective, from a New Testament perspective, knowing that Christ is the one who's become our salvation. Um, let's, uh, let's think about how that works its way through uh, for us. Um, and again, I think, you know, we, we perhaps come back to the question of, well, who do we choose to trust? Do we, like the psalmist, say it's better to trust uh, in the Lord uh, than to trust in princes, than to trust in people? And is it, um, are, are we then moving from just talking about God, knowing about God, to actually bringing ourselves to God, uh, into his presence, and to relate to him? The God that is revealed in the Bible is not a God that we would make up for ourselves. Uh, he's a God, in a sense, that breaks all the rules. Um, and uh, as we come to him, um, he wants us to, to come to bring ourselves uh, into his presence, to move uh, like the psalmist moved from talking about God to talking to God. So how do we enter into that uh, relationship well, like the psalmist, we, we acknowledge that there is uh, a gap. The psalmist uh, comes to the gate and he seems to see that there is um, almost a, a barrier that, that he can't get through. 
the gatekeepers say, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous uh, may enter. So let's think then, can we just move on one more? Okay. How? How do we draw near to God? If we, if we want to take that step from moving from the he to the you, then how do we enter into that relationship? And how, how does the New Testament express this, uh, this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. And when I was, uh, when I was a, a young Christian, I learned, two, I learned a number of memory verses, um, one of which was Romans 3.23, another was Romans 6.23. Uh, Romans uh, 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's the barrier, there's the gulf that separates us from God. And then Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, let's just look at Romans 3 and, and take the verses on either side of it. And it really echoes very much some of the things that we've been seeing in the psalm, um, but expressed in the, new, the light of Christ's coming and his death. He's talking, Paul is talking about a righteousness that's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here's Paul reminding us that it, Christ has become our salvation and bridging the gap, bringing ourselves into God's presence, acknowledging that there is a gulf between us and the holiness of God, but also acknowledging that there is a wonderful gift, not just a gulf, but a gift, that God has provided that way of salvation for us through Jesus. And we trust him, not, not our own plans, not our own way of doing it, but we trust the way that God has opened up for us, uh, that uh, we may, may come into his presence. Let's move on then and look at uh, one of the, the phrases that comes uh, many times, Christ as the cornerstone, uh, in verse 22. Very interesting, actually, that uh, this, is, this verse is quoted many times in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus quotes it in the context of a parable about the tenants in the vineyard that killed all the ones that the owner of the vineyard sent to him. So he uses it as a challenge. Uh, and he says, um, the, 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 the stone that the builders rejected, you've re and he, he is effectively saying to the Jewish leaders, you're, you're rejecting me, the Christ, um, like those tenants in the vineyard rejected the ones that God sent, and you rejected the prophets as well. And Peter uses it in the same way. In Acts uh, chapter 4, um, he says to those that had arrested him, the Jewish leaders, uh, that had arrested him uh, and John uh, for healing somebody, uh, healing a lame man, um, and they're asking him in what power he does it. And Peter confronts them and says, the, you, the stone that you builders rejected, in other words, he puts them on the spot and says, you're the ones that rejected the way of salvation that God has provided. Um, but he is the one that God chose. And again, in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 7, um, Peter says, picks up the same thing. And again, he's using it as a challenge, a challenge to us, a challenge to his readers saying, in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So the question to ask ourselves is, which of the camps are we in? Is that a cornerstone that to us uh, is chosen and precious because it's God's way or is it something we just find too difficult or not not the way we would do it so we say no that's not the right way Um, and it becomes a stumbling block it becomes uh, something that we can't quite get over that hurdle of thinking can God possibly have done that for me so let's encourage ourselves Uh, to know that God has provided the way and he's done it in his way and Jesus is that cornerstone, that keystone uh, is his choice it's the one whom he has provided and if it isn't the way we would have done it we need to trust God and not others then there's uh, the the verse that says um, verse uh, 25 Lord save us Lord grant us success, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that again, we're familiar with, aren't we, from Palm Sunday, Jesus entering into Jerusalem. uh, And the people shouting, uh, Hosanna, comes in all all the gospel accounts. Here it is in John's gospel. Um, And we see here that Christ is coming as king, riding on a donkey, entering into Jerusalem as king and saviour. And it says, the next day a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna really means means save, uh, but it it, it sort of become an exclamation of uh, praise. Um, So effectively, they're almost saying to Jesus, you you are our salvation. Uh, You are the one who saves. Um, And... uh, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So we see here that Jesus is the one entering into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. donkey. He's proclaimed as the one uh, who is bringing salvation and as being blessed. And, And when we think of it in terms of the psalm, really Jesus is the only one who by right could enter into that gate into God's presence. This is the gate through which the righteous may enter. Jesus, the only righteous one who in his own uh, strength and his own right uh, could enter there. Whereas we come in his name, we come in the name of the Lord, we come through Jesus into the presence of the Lord. And if we have that relationship with God through Jesus, then we have security And we have that unbreakable, faithful love of God. We have a secure relationship with God. And just to to come to a close, uh, the writer to Hebrews, um, which which is a wonderful book for really picking up on some of the Old Testament themes and seeing how they work through. Uh, in terms of what Christ has done, in terms of our New Testament experience. Um, Just a couple of of passages from uh, Hebrews. Um, First, chapter 6, which 
really talks about the work of Christ leading us into the presence of God, having that way into his presence. And the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the one who's entered there and he's provided uh, a way in uh, that is sure for us. As we lay hold of him, he leads us into the very presence of God. And it's on that basis that right at the end of the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer quotes uh, from Psalm 118, um, just taking a couple of verses there um, in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, he says uh, because God has said never will I leave you or forsake you so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me will it go on another slide the other okay there we go good um so it's, it's through the work of Christ that we have a secure relationship with God. And through that secure relationship with God, we can echo the words of the psalmist as the writer to the Hebrews does. God has said, my love, my commitment to you is unending, it's unbreakable. And so because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me so we, we come back to that that sandwich don't we remember the beginning of the psalm uh, the, lo- uh, the Lord's love endures forever uh, that faithful commitment the relationship between God and his people and his faithful love to us works its way out in many different ways the psalmist proved that we can prove it too as we turn to the Lord and choose, choose to trust the Lord in different situations, challenging situations. And that faithful love works its way out in becoming our salvation in Jesus. Lord, you have become my salvation. Opening the gates that we can enter in and worship and being there in all the circumstances of life. So do we believe that God is with us and will be with us and will encourage us? And do we together, as we seek to serve him together as his people, as as pilgrims uh, in this world, seek to encourage one another, bringing one another before the Lord and encouraging one another with testimonies to his faithfulness? Let's be a people of God uh, that really seek uh, to prove uh, that unbreakable commitment that God has to his people.